Hey, listeners, we wanted to share some exciting news. The Slate shop is now open. Go to shop.slate.com to browse our selection of thoughtfully curated, high-quality products that support small businesses, Slate's independent journalism, and your shopping habits. From hand-poured candles and expertly crafted pasta makers to official Slate merch and beaded pickle pouches, say that five times fast, the Slate shop is your destination for unique products and fabulous gifts. That's shop.slate.com, and new customers will receive 10% off their first order. Happy shopping! Basically, we're trying to invoke some emotion. Something in the accessories is going to connect them to the house. So that's really what we're trying to do is walk through and say, oh, my God, this is a cool little area. I can see us entertaining here. And that's the picture that we're trying to paint. Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, Isaac Butler. And I'm your other host, Kristen Meinzer. Kristen, hello. It is so nice to record our first episode together. Your ring light looks amazing. Uh, It's nice to see you on Zoom. But more (laughs) importantly, I would love to know whose voice was that that we heard at the top of the episode? Well, Isaac, first and foremost, I'm so excited to be hosting with you. You are such a delight, and I'm so excited to talk with you today. Lovely. And that voice we just heard was Nikki Watson. She's the founder of the Design Quad, which is the largest home staging company in America. Oh, wow. And so what made you want to talk to her? Well... Confession, I just am such a sucker for all those real estate shows and home makeover shows on TV, especially the ones that have a really good before and after. You know, you walk in initially and it just looks like crap. And then at the end of the show, it's just like, oh, my gosh, I'm in a showroom. This is perfect. And without home stagers, there really wouldn't be an after on any of those shows, right? So I really admire their work and I wanted to learn more about it. And is she on any of those shows? Would would any of our listeners who maybe have a cursory interest in those home makeover shows have seen her in anything? She's dabbled in those shows a little bit, but she's yet to be a star of one. I think she should be a star of one because she's fantastic. Well, Hollywood, take note. And in the meantime, <laughs> uh, do our Slate Plus listeners get maybe a, a little extra Afghan throw on their chaise lounge <laughs> this week? Yes, they do. Nikki shares some of her top staging pet peeves. I definitely have some of my own. So we share our thoughts on what kinds of staging decisions are not good staging decisions. And I'm sure all the listeners have their list as well. Oh, that's amazing. I do love a good pet peeve And if you are a Slate Plus subscriber, that will be waiting for you at the end of the episode. If you are not a Slate Plus subscriber, though, I got to say, one of my pet peeves is people who don't subscribe to Slate Plus. No, I'm kidding. But you should do it anyway. (laughs) There's so much great stuff you get. If you go to slate.com slash working plus, you get full access behind the uh, Slate paywall. You get bonus segments on this show. You get bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring. And you get to support everything we do right here on Working. We really couldn't do what we do without Slate Plus. So go to slate.com slash working plus to sign up today. Now let's listen in to Kristen's conversation with home stager Nikki Watson. (laughs) 
Nikki, I am so excited to talk with you today. I am a huge fan of what you, what all home stagers do, but for the very few people out there who don't understand your work, can you explain what a home stager is and isn't? Yes, absolutely. Our job is to come in and bring in furniture, accessories, and set up the home that's going on the real estate market for sale. We set it up like a model home. So that feeling that you have when you go into a model and you just love everything and you want to buy the house just like it is, that's what we want to do for all of our houses. So that's our job is to make people feel emotionally connected to the house. What we don't do, we don't do a couple things. We, we don't do cleaning. A lot of people ask us to clean houses. We're like, oh, we don't do that. We don't pack people's houses up to get them to move. We don't, we're not packers or movers. And we're also not interior designers. So interior designers and staging is totally different. So now I have to ask, what is an interior designer doing that's different than what you do? So if I am an interior design client, I want the house to be have my personality in it. I might love the color purple. So I'll come in and tell my interior designer, I want purple everywhere. I want purple walls. I want purple pillows and purple curtains. (laughs) I just want purple everywhere. Well, a stager couldn't do that because we have to put it on the market for the market. So that might not necessarily be a popular color, and we just have to make it real estate vanilla, what we call, for most of the houses that are going to market. We have to appeal to the most buyers. So it's a totally psychologically different thing, um, but it's a lot of fun. So we are totally different than interior designers. (laughs) Got it. Okay, so an interior designer, you're really personalizing it to the client. Speaking of clients, who are most of your clients? Who exactly are these people who are hiring you? So it depends. So we do we have a good mix of clients. So we have a lot of real estate agents that believe in what we do. Uh, realtors are our number one client. Real estate investors, so flippers, and homeowners. Homeowners are getting more educated about home staging, and they're starting to hire, hire us personally. Home builders, those are some clients too. And... What is your goal? Is your goal to just stand out from the crowd? Is it to create a specific emotional experience for people entering the space? Yeah, so basically we're trying to invoke some emotion. So when people walk through properties that are empty, so say you go to a vacant property, you really don't have anything to connect to. So you're just walking into the house, it's probably going to feel a little cold. So what we're trying to do is when they're walking through, we want them to connect to something. So either they're going to like something in the artwork, they're going to like something on on the couch or even on the table, something in the accessories is going to connect them to the house. So that's really what we're trying to do is walk through and say, oh my God, this is a cool little area. I can see us entertaining here. And that's the picture that we're trying to paint. So that's how we Uh, figure out how we accessorize and what colors we're going to use to try to feel what emotion we want to invoke when they come walk through the property. Got it. And for those who aren't familiar with a Nikki Watson staging, what does a Nikki Watson staging look like versus some randos? What, what, What makes it yours? I think we do a little bit more personality. So I've seen a lot of beautiful staging out there. Um, 
that is on trend and and doing the monochromatic thing, but we like color. So you will see a lot of color in our staging. You will see water bottles in the kitchen. You will see some mm. sort of color um, all around the house in our artwork, our pillows. We just use we use probably more color than anybody, um, even in this monochromatic trendy world right now we we're using and still using color so we just like a bit of green or we're gonna use some navy blue but we we love some color (laughs) why do you think it is nikki that so many stagers just do the monochromatic thing now and by choosing to break away from that do you feel like maybe that's taking a risk maybe that could be i don't know Something that's seen as a little, a little reckless, a little, a little crazy in your industry. I think it is a little crazy in our industry. So what I've learned is, we as the normal regular people, we get trends a little bit behind the luxury market. So something that's trending in luxury market two years ago was monochromatic. So it was all white, off white, gray. That's it. So the regular retailers are just now getting that trend now. So two years later, it's so popular, everybody's doing it. But we did it a little bit in the luxury market two years ago. And then to me, it just washes out your pictures. So it is a little risky for me to do it as a stager because I'm not on trend with everybody else. So we're not, I'm just not riding the monochromatic wave. I'm doing a, taking a little bit of risk. And some people say it's not in style, but it'll be back tomorrow. So it'll, it, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> also, I mean, it, I agree with you that things come in cycles and some things they will look dated eventually. There is going to be a point where we look at all of these monochromatic staged homes and think, oh, that's so 2019, right? (laughs) We will. (laughs) Just like the color turquoise. This is something I used to use all the time. I love turquoise. We would put it everywhere. I had one, one investor that would only use me because I had turquoise inventory. That This is the crazy thing. Now that's gone. Nobody uses it anymore, but <sighs> it'll be back for sure. It'll, it'll come right back. We'll use it again. And then our pictures from back then will look trendy again. So everything comes back. I think monochromatic will, it'll go out, it'll fade away for a while, but it will definitely come back. It's a we, what we call macro trend. It'll be around for five years or so, it'll go away and it'll come back again. Yeah, I've been seeing that lately with certain things that used to be considered like, oh, God, nobody wants wood paneling, but now everybody has it again, but they call it shiplap. Or, it's back. Yes, or alternatively, uh, people thought, oh, God, I don't want this dated avocado kitchen. But now cabinets are avocado colored all the time now in kitchens. That was the most popular color last year. Every paint brand in America had green as their color of the year. So that that you can see that trend. Avocado appliances are the most expensive ones on the market. You, if you want to buy them, you're going to pay good money. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because there are definitely those people who, you know, no shade to them, but maybe they're only consuming media that's a few years behind the time. So they think, oh, I got to get rid of this avocado kitchen and put in an all white kitchen. I have to do the all white thing. And it's not necessarily 
a good use of money to try and rip out an entire kitchen and change it to all white when maybe the only reason you think all white is the classy thing to do is because you are consuming TV shows that were filmed five years ago, right? Yep, that's the truth. (laughs) And do you try to adjust how you stage a space depending on, you know, architectural factors or the neighborhood that you're in? How does that play into your decisions? Definitely, because you want... You wouldn't do the same thing that you would do in an up-and-coming trendy area. Um, here in Dallas, we, we are what we call hip areas called Uptown. And there's young families there, single people, and it's just kind of a party area. So you wouldn't do the same thing that you would do in the suburbs where there's more, mostly families, uh, people with children. So you wouldn't do the same style. So it kind of depends on the style of the property, the area. And so we go along with, with that. We try to make sure that we're sticking with what's happening in that neighborhood and that what will sell that neighborhood. That must be a tough balance, though, because you're trying to appeal to the most potential buyers for that, right? But while appealing to those specific people, you can't be so specific that you feel like you're being uh, alienating to anybody who might be, you know, on the edge of that, right? Right. That's true. And it is a lot of balance. It's a fine line. So you, we have to know, first of all, the area. So we will know what it needs to look like for the area. If we're using uh, a lot of wood tones, if we're using some heavy, dark things, some of that stuff needs to go more in a family or traditional home. Our style for staging, most stagers use transitional style because it appeals to the most buyers. So our furniture kind of looks the same, but then how we accessorize it, how we put artwork in it and that will be the change. So the the furniture pieces are mainly the the staples that are always going to be the same. They're going to be white couches, they'll be just neutral stuff, neutral bedding, neutral everything else, but then how you accessorize it, that will determine the type of buyer that you're attracting. We'll be back with more of Kristen's conversation with Nikki Watson after this. Hey listeners, Isaac Butler here. Just wanted to say if you're enjoying this episode and you don't subscribe to the show yet, hey, maybe you want to click that little subscribe button. If you already are subscribing and you want to know what you can do to support us, you could give us a rating. You could give us a review. If you happen to listen on Overcast, which is my uh, podcast app of choice, just uh, click on that little star. All that stuff really actually does help us find new listeners. So thank you in advance. And now back to Kristen's conversation with home stager Nikki Watson. I just am curious, for the people listening right now, how do you actually become a home stager? People who dream of it, people who watch TV shows with home stagers and they think, I would love to do that job. How does one end up like you? It's very easy to get into. So this is an industry that anybody can do. You don't need a certification. You don't need any schooling. You don't need any of that. There's, I always say that everything that you need to know is on the internet. Everything is on YouTube. So there are lots of free classes online. Um, I didn't take a certification class because when I was first started, all the classes were expensive. They are 
two and three thousand dollars. And I didn't have that kind of money at the time. So I just researched. I looked at, you know, what other people were doing. And when I first got into it, and I tell a lot of people now, if they want to be a home stager, all they need is pictures. So if you have a room in your house that you want to redecorate or change around, take a before picture, fix it up, change it up, do an after. And these are pictures that of stuff you've done. This is your work. And then I'd go to all the real estate companies in the area and say, hey, I'm a home stager, pass out cards, and they'll remember you. Somebody will need a stager soon. How do you then make the leap from that to doing it professionally. Let's talk about your story here. How did you personally make that leap? So my story is a crazy one. Um, I used to sell floors. So how I got into the real estate industry was I was a, a flooring sales rep. I used to sell carpet and wood and tile. And I would go out to all these people's houses and measure and show them samples and, and set up installs. And I met a home stager and I was his flooring rep. And I just was so amazed at what he did. I had never heard of home staging and I thought it was so cool. Well, he ended up packing up his business and moving away uh, out of state. And all of these realtors were like freaking out. Oh my God, I need a home stager. He's moved. He's gone. What can I do? And I was like, pick me. (laughs) I I think I can do it. And they started giving me an opportunity to stage some of their houses. And and it just went from there. Word of mouth. I got one job and it led to two more. And it just snowballed after that. But it was just one person that gave me the opportunity to do it. And that's what really got me started. Well, it clearly worked for you because at this point, you aren't just a home stager. You own the largest home staging business in the United States. And I have to point out, this means you're not just a creative. You are also at this point, a business owner, you are a manager, you are doing logistics, you are doing a lot of things that go beyond the creativity of people's fantasies. When people fantasize about being a home stager, they're not necessarily thinking about invoices or payroll or all the other things that you're thinking of. And uh, that can be intimidating thinking about those business decisions and so on. What do you say to people out there when they say, oh, I want to be creative, but I don't want to do the business side? What do you say to those people? Well, getting good help. So finding some help to take that part off of you. I, If you've ever taken a personality test profile, I've taken the DISC profile, D-I-S-C, and I am all creative. And I don't have any organization. I don't like spreadsheets. I don't want to read a contract. I don't want any of that. (laughs) So that is not in my personality. But you have to find somebody on your team that is. So that's kind of what helped me was when I learned who I needed on my team. I needed somebody that had everything that I don't have, which is all of those things. They People that like QuickBooks. (laughs) those kind of (laughs) terrible, terrible things that I I loathe. Those are the people that you need on your team. And once you find those people, then you can do whatever you want to do. Like the sky is limited, literally the limit, because you can do anything. Your creative brain is going to do all, fill in all the other spots. But you need somebody on your team that has the they really love to do that stuff, not just want to do it for work. They enjoy it. Yes, I I love that advice to find the experts. We don't have to be great at everything, but we should 
educate ourselves enough to know the right people to hire or to turn to, right? The right people to have on our team. All right. So I'm going to talk about some stories, some stories of you staging, uh, of things going well. Can you tell me a story of how you perhaps really changed somebody's life through your home staging? Yes, I think a couple a couple of times we've had, you know, divorce situations, which is so sticky. It's very uncomfortable for a stager to come in and there be fighting going on, crying and those kind of things. But I think once you come in and show that, you know, this is now no longer, you know, where you created memories, where this marriage failed. This is now a a product to go on the marketplace. So you're kind of taking the emotions out of the house. I've had had some times where where that was a big deal in the in the transaction. So the staging kind of helped help mend the mend the situation. Now, stories on how my company has changed lives. I've I have a couple of those. I uh, my very first hire. So we're talking about how um, hiring people and and what they need to be. My very first person I hired. I volunteered for several years at this place called Exodus Ministries. And Exodus is a place where ladies, women live. It's an apartment complex and they live after they've been uh, released from prison or rehab. So I volunteered there for years and always just admired this ministry. So I'm like, oh yeah, when I when I hire my first employee, I'm going to go here. And just talking and never even really thinking this was going to happen because my business is still small. So I'm, I'm not even thinking of hiring yet. But the day comes where invoices are piling up and I am, have had enough. <laughs> so I go to I, in the middle of the night, I think about Exodus and the, and the next morning I call and I'm, I go up there and I say, hey, I told the director I need help. I need to hire somebody. And usually uh, there's a guy that had a franchise and he would hire the ladies from there, but he had a franchise of fast food restaurants, which if you have a background, that's really the only place that will give you a chance. Um, he had two Smoothie Kings and a Subway and he would hire the girls out of Exodus. So I go there and uh, the director's so happy. Oh my God, you're going to give somebody a chance to have a real job? I say, yeah, I, I think I need s- some help. So she said, I have two girls that are graduating or have graduated and they're off on a, in another program, but I think they'll be really good. One used to be a lawyer. I mean, these girls have great backgrounds. Um, but she said, there's another girl that's here now. Do you want to talk to her? I think that she used to do marketing and she brought her in, sat her down in front of me. Now I'm doing an impromptu interview I, that I didn't expect to be doing that day. So I, I talked to the young lady. She comes in, great personality, immediately hit it off with her. And she tells me she used to work for a real estate company doing marketing. I was like, oh, that's perfect. And so we talked and I, I hired her. The next month she graduated from the program. She started work for my company. And within six months, my company had grown about four times the business that when she first got there. Oh my gosh. She was organized. She had every single quality that I needed. She was a spreadsheet master. And if she didn't understand something, she would Google it and she would sit down and learn it that day. I mean, this was the perfect 
perfect person for my company. She's still there today. It is an amazing, she's been there since June 2017, and it's just been an honor to see her grow as a person and for her to help me grow my business. So that's been a huge change in somebody's life in both mine and hers. <laughs> that's incredible. And um, and I love that you can see the flip side of that, that she changed you and your business too. Four times larger, your company within six months of her arriving. Yes, in six months. It was so fast. And it was something, you know, when you're looking at your business, you're working in your business and you're everything. You're the janitor. You're the everybody. You're, you do everything. <laughs> well, you're not looking at what you need necessarily. And it was everything that I needed, but I didn't know. And so it happened so fast because it was exactly the right time, the right, everything just happened right there. It was just amazing. So (laughs) (laughs) a lot of what's coming up in our conversation, um, which I guess I didn't fully expect, was emotion, Uh, the emotion that has to do with your business, the people in it, how you run your business. But then also to go back to why people put houses on the market in the first place. Sometimes the reason isn't a happy one. Sometimes it is divorce, as you mentioned. Sometimes it is because somebody in the family died. And it can be really, you know, a great responsibility to be taking care of people's emotions as you're working on the sale of these homes, I imagine, to carry that weight. And as you said, to be something of a counselor for people Is that something you think about a lot when you're looking at people's homes and how you're going to stage them? Do you think about everything that these homes have been through and what these people have been through in these homes? Do you think of the fights, the moments of love, the frustrations, the birth of children? Do you think of all of that when you're staging a home? Or do you just try to go in thinking, it's not about that, this is all business? Well, it's a balance because we don't want them to hold on to that while they're trying to, because the the agent would be very upset with us if we came in and just said, okay, we know you raised Johnny here. This is where his (laughs) growth chart was. We're going to keep this on here. So they want us to remove a lot of that, but we do have to be sensitive about, you know, if a wife just lost her husband and then they've been in this house for 60 years and raised all their kids and grandkids, and now she has to move into a nursing home. And so all of that is very sensitive. So you, we do have to make sure that we're being kind to people when we're going in and we're just not barking orders. We've had people say, oh, we fired two stagers before because they came in here and just told us what to do. Well, you can't just tell people what to do if they've been in their home forever. So it, it just makes, it makes it a little bit more difficult because you do have to be sensitive, but it does make it enjoyable when once they see the end result and they're like, oh my God, I would have never thought my house could look like this. And it <laughs> makes them happy to see that they're they're the end product. So it is very emotional sometimes. And we do have to just be very careful. And, and I think that that's one thing that if there was a training on that, I think that would be the most important training to have as a home stager is 
how to have those conversations with people when you're trying to remove them from the emotional space they're in when when they're having to get rid of, you know, get rid of their or pack up all their personal pictures and those kind of things. Wow. Have you ever been invited into a situation because maybe somebody else tried to stage it already and they didn't stage it so well? Yes, a couple times. Yes, we have had to <laughs> to pick up where somebody else left off or um, this. We get this a lot. Investors, which are mostly guys, they try to do it themselves. <laughs> and then they say, oh, well, this didn't look like I thought it was going to turn out. So can you come help me out? So that those are fun because we can tell, show them what they did wrong and kind of teach them in the in the moment. But we do get a lot of those. Now, finally, I just want to backtrack to the beginning of your career. Uh, You didn't start out in staging. You took a few zigzags to get where you are today. And I did too. I think a lot of creatives took a lot of zigzags to get where they are. And personally, I, you know, when I was younger, I sometimes felt resentful about that. I thought, oh, other people, you know, their parents paid for them to go to school to become this thing, and then they got there faster. And, you know, and now instead, what I do is I think about those zigzags I took and I think of how they helped me to be better at my job. I think all the years I spent waiting tables, for example, helped me with time management. They helped me be better at listening and better at talking with people and so on. And I'm wondering if when it comes to your zigzags that you've taken, if there are any particular jobs you've had along the way that you think helped you to be the great stager you are today that might not be so obvious. So I just did some random stuff, customers, a lot of customer service. So I used to do working call centers. And I think a lot of that customer service helped me deal with clients now. So just having that attitude of service helps tremendously because I think that that's what we're doing. We're serving our clients, making sure that they are having a smooth transaction. Um, This is the most emotional thing that they'll do is sell or buy or sell a house. So I think customer service, a lot of the customer service background that I have um, probably helped me get to the point that I'm in uh, right now, just with talking to clients and building relationships with agents. So yeah. Probably customer service. (laughs) Mm. I can't imagine working in your industry and not knowing how to work with people. That's front and center. Uh, In addition to, you know, your creative vision and so on, which is really important too. But if you can't talk to people, your creative vision doesn't mean a thing, right? Yeah, you have to do that. Well, Nikki Watson, it has been such a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so glad to to talk to you today. When we come back, Kristen and I will talk about the meaning of monochrome, how to approach trends, and the emotional side of creative work. Kristen, I'll admit it, the only reality show I watch is Top Chef, so this is a field that I know nothing about. I mean, <laughs> I understand that home stages exist, you know, anyone who's ever spent any time on Trulia knows someone has to be doing that, but it's just a field I know so little about. You, by contrast, clearly from this interview, know a lot about it, you're kind of an enthusiast, so can you tell us a little about your love for it? Yeah, well, as I said at the top of the show, 
I love those home makeover programs. I love a dazzling before and after. But the truth is, on top of that, I'm a tiny bit obsessed with real estate. I'm one of those people who, if I see an open house sign, I walk into that open house. I pretend I'm a buyer. Yes, I do have $10 million to buy this brownstone. Ooh, I don't know about this fireplace detail. I'm not sure if I want to knock it down. I'm totally that person who just pretends I'm in the market for whatever place I'm looking at. But what I'm also doing is silently judging the decisions of whoever staged the space as well. So uh, I really love it not just to watch on TV, but to actually see in real life. And I do have the secret fantasy of maybe being a real estate agent someday if this whole journalism thing dries up. You know, I'm also really glad that you both discussed your, shall we say, complex feelings about monochrome. You know, a um, (laughs) previous guest on this show, Naylin Blake, once told me about what they call the white tube, which are these kinds of environments that feel like they could be anywhere, but they also communicate a kind of, you know, middle class or you know it's like it's like white walls reclaimed wood tables you know that whole kind of uh aesthetic it's been a trend for a really long time now it seems you know why do you think it keeps going and uh, when will the color revolution finally happen Well, as Nikki was saying to me, or as she was hinting at, many of her clients are actually becoming tired of that monochrome. And that is why they turn to her specifically versus another home stager, because most of the home stagers are still doing that monochrome. And Nikki, she has a little bit more color in her collection. She brings a little pizzazz here and there. So based on her experience, people are starting to get tired of it. Not everybody, but the clients who turn to her are getting tired of it. And I'm so excited for that because I personally feel like a lot of that monochrome, maybe it is appealing like a blank slate, but it really lacks life and it lacks emotion. And I think homes are for living in. Spaces are for occupying with our human emotions, our human mistakes, our human excitement and so on. And so having a little bit of color I'm all about bringing some of that back. And I'm so glad Nikki is doing it because, yeah, I'm also tired of that monochrome nothingness. You know, it was only recently that I learned the term grayish, which is like (laughs) sort of gray and sort of beige and is like the dominant, you know, if you're not doing white, but you're still in that monochrome thing. And just even the name sounds inhuman, right? Yeah, a robot made that color. Probably. It was probably made in (laughs) ChatGPT or something, you know, which actually does bring up this issue that really shapes her world, but I think shapes all creative jobs if you're trying to actually make it a job, which is how do you relate to trends? What is the relationship of your work to trend? Because, I mean, we all know people in creative fields who are kind of always trying to be on trend. And as a result, their work, you know, never actually feels alive. It doesn't have that humanity and personality because it's always following. But at the same time, if you totally buck all that stuff, if you're totally outside all that stuff, well, maybe no one can parse what you're doing, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, How do you think about trends in, in your creative work here in the, you know, podcasting universe? I love that question, Isaac. I really love it. And I'll say for myself, I've realized over time that I just have my particular taste and my particular voice, and I can try to dress things up with accessories or I can experiment. But even then, I'm just not a very trendy person, and that can be both good and bad. Uh, I'll just give you one example. 
when I first started out in public radio 15 years ago or so, it was very trendy to have a specific public radio voice. I think you know what that voice is, Isaac. I do. Yes, indeed. Yes. And I do not have that voice unless it's not obvious. I am a little too enthusiastic. I laugh too much. My accent is a little too Minnesotan, supposedly. And Back then, listeners would sometimes write in asking me to tone it down. But as you know, with podcasting, the trend has changed, and hosts are now encouraged to have their own unique voice to embrace it. So long story short, I'm not trendy, but because trends change, I'm occasionally in style. And that's kind of how I accept myself now in our world. Like, maybe I'm in style again, kind of like that person who never stopped wearing a very permed large bang haircut back in 1980. Maybe they're back in style now, now that perms are back, right? Right. And part of the trick then is to recognize when that moment has happened and like really capitalize on it so that you have the freedom to keep being yourself maybe when it's, when that wanes, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You know, I really love that you brought up emotion. It's something that I like to talk about in these conversations with artists and stuff because creative jobs are emotional jobs. A lot of times you're taking the highly volatile material of your emotional life and you're trying to transmute that into art. And that's really hard. And in this, she's doing sort of a different, almost opposite, really challenging thing, which is trying to take this personal, emotionally charged space and turn it into one that a complete stranger who you know nothing about can project themselves into, but that still feels human and alive. So as someone who goes to a lot of open houses pretending to be a fantastically wealthy heiress who wants to buy a brownstone (laughs) and stuff, uh, what are some of the kind of emotional pitfalls you've seen in those designs? Well, one of my biggest emotional pitfalls is I think that some of the houses look like they are staged to be a museum rather than a place that we live. And I think that so much of what makes life fun are the things that maybe don't look perfect like a museum. I want to walk into a space and see, where can I put my TV? I'm going to watch TV every day. I'm going to watch movies every day. I'm a culture critic, but I also just happen to love those things. And if this space is set up where there is no TV space, there's nowhere I can put a TV, then I, and I I would venture to say 90% of Americans, can't necessarily imagine ourselves living there. So sometimes emotion comes in the form of things that don't look perfect like a museum, but they help make our lives better, like that TV in my case. Mm, That's amazing. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode. I am just going to do one last little Slate Plus pitch. Go to slate.com slash working plus today to sign up. You'll get full access behind the paywall. You'll get bonus segments on shows like this one. You'll get bonus full episodes of shows like Slow Burn and Decoder Ring. You get a lot of great stuff and you get to support what we do right here on Working. Go to slate.com slash working plus to sign up today. Thanks again to our guest, Nikki Watson, and to our outstanding producer, Cameron Drews, who is as tasteful and refined as an Italian leather sofa. Tune in next week for Isaac's conversation with Christopher Borgley, the writer-director of the new A24 film, Dream Scenario. Until then, get back to work. <laughs>